Well, we are concluding our study of Romans this morning, and as we approach this last chapter, chapter 16, I thought it might be good if we took some time to kind of remind ourselves of where we've been as we've traveled <clears throat> on, this Ram, on this Romans road. So the book of Romans is known for its deep doctrines of our faith, but more important, as we've uh, looked back on the last seven and a half months, can you believe that? We started on October the 17th to study this book. Well, I saw as we stopped along the way with Pastor Lee and Jared and myself, and we began to mine some of these deep doctrines, we found some real treasures, some nuggets of truth that we've been challenged with that we would live our lives by. I encourage you as you open your Bibles, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. Um, I want you to follow along with me in your Bible because most of the verses we're going to deal with will be in the book of Romans. If they're not, I'll I'll have them up here on the screen, or if it's a different translation, I'll have it up here. But we're going to travel back through the Romans road together, and um, we're going to start with chapters 1 and 2. That's where we learned about the gospel, that faith not works makes us right with God. And the most important verse there is chapter 1. So turn to chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. That's our verse for these uh, this morning. Verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. We need only to believe. Did you see that in that verse? We're saved by faith, from faith to faith. It was never about how we deserve God's love. Salvation has never been about proving our worth. It's all about God's free gift of grace. We stand eternally secure in God's promise of mercy. We can't be disqualified because we heard once before we were never qualified. Pastor Lee then reminds us that God is for us, warts and all. We're all sinners standing before a sinless God. Our first thought in the bulletin, simply stated, God is against sin, but Paul would be the first to say, God is for the sinner. Now I've got my next verse up here on the screen because it's from the New Living uh, Translation, chapter 2, verse 4 in Romans. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? You see, God is against sin, but He is for us. He's for the sinner. Romans chapters 2 and 3, well, they speak of God's righteous, rightful judgment of all mankind. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 3. (coughs) So turn to verse 23 in chapter 3. For all have sinned, 
and fall short of the glory of God. All means all. Sin is the human condition. But verse 24 then goes on telling us of God's universal solution. Paul says, In Christ we are being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The gospel means good news. We come to God with empty hands. And the second point in our bulletin, we are justified freely by His grace. What a thrilling statement. Justified freely by His grace. Not by good intentions or gifts, prayers or works, but freely by the grace of God alone. Saved by faith. Even before Jesus came, people like Abraham and David, they were only saved by faith. Now in chapters 5 through 7, we learned about God's unfailing love. We come to verse 8 of chapter 5. So flip on over to chapter 5. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's how God demonstrates His love for us. Because of our sin. So I start asking, well, how then does God in other ways demonstrate His love for us? Does He protect us from, from bad weather? No. Does He give us wealth and boundless luxuries? No. Always giving us good health? No. You see, there are preachers in churches that teach those heavenly perks and incentives. But what we truly believe is that God cannot love you more. He can't demonstrate His love more than He did on the cross. We all want to live and have our life go smoothly and be filled with pleasure and contentment. But God's love is not measured by our circumstances. It's measured by the cross. Well, then what has God promised us? Well, let me share some promises from the book of Romans. God has given us the promise of salvation, eternal life in heaven. Turn to chapter 6, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Well, the wages of sin, what is that? That's death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is coming. He's coming to take us home to heaven. God has promised us unconditional, eternal love. He's promised to never leave us or forsake us. Turn to Romans chapter 8. In chapter 8, at the very end of that chapter, verses 38 and 39, we find that we're never, we will never be separated from God's love. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come he keeps talking, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. God has promised us a special peace in this world of turmoil. Turn way back in the book to chapter 15. I won't do this to you again, but 
Back in chapter 15, verse 13, Paul tells us, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Did you notice there the promise of joy in this passage? Joy is that inner happiness that doesn't depend on our circumstances. Some people said happiness is because of what happens. Joy is in spite of what happens. Did you notice then that we're promised hope? Hope, that personal desire that's accompanied by a total expectation of fulfillment. That's our sure hope, our living hope. Our sure hope is heaven, the promise of eternal life. God's not only promised inner joy, hope, and peace. He's also promised a different kind of peace. Peace between him and us, between God and man. Now, I'm using the New Living Translation, but we're back in Romans chapter 2, verse 22. We are all made right with God. That's peace with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Now these are just some of the promises found in the book of Romans that each and every child of God can claim. God's continued presence, His comfort, hope, and peace, and joy, and a home in heaven forever. Now in chapter 8, get back in chapter 8 with me, we learned about God's Spirit. Chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. It's God's Spirit. It's in His Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, who indwells within us at that moment when we first believed, at that new birth, when we were born again into God's family. I look at it like this. We're all, we were like electric lamps. We were unplugged by sin from the presence and knowledge of God. But being born again is like plugging in the cord of our life to the outlet the source of spiritual power and light. We're connected to God with the Spirit flowing through that cord. And the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. Uh, in our bulletin in the back, number four, how do we know if we have the Spirit within us? Well, there's three questions. Has the Spirit led me to Jesus? That's what Jesus said He would do. Do I want to be more godly? That's what the Spirit does when He connects with us. And has my life changed? Once the Spirit has come to dwell within us, within our human flesh, we have the formula for conquering our sinful habits. Simply put, feed the Spirit and what? Starve the flesh. Feed the Spirit Spend time in the Word, in prayer, in fellowship. Starve the flesh. Seek God's wisdom to set boundaries and build fences that limit Satan's influence in our lives. 
Paul tells us in chapter 13, verse 14, keep your finger there in chapter 8 because we're coming back. But in Romans 13, verse 14, it so applies to this thought. Put the Lord, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Feed the Spirit. Starve the flesh. It was in chapter 8 that we read one of God's greatest promises to each and every one of us when we believe in Jesus and when we love the Lord God. Romans 8.28 Many of you have memorized this verse. We love this verse. Verse 28 For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. This promise is to those who love Him. Now, I do like the NIV because how it begins, verse 28, I have it up uh, up here, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. So rather than saying all things work together for good, the NIV reminds me that God is directly involved, causing all things to work together for good. We learned in chapters 9 through 12 that Israel is still God's chosen people. Turn to chapter 11, verse 26. 11, 26. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, <clears throat> the deliverer will come out of Zion. The deliverer, that's Jesus. Zion, that's Jerusalem. And he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. That's another name for Israel. The church, that's us, the body of Christ. We haven't taken Israel's place. We also find here in chapter 11 that we should trust God. We're, even though we're finite creatures, His wisdom and knowledge is beyond us. God is in control. Look at verse 33 there in chapter 11. Verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. We can rest in the fact that God is all-knowing. He's what we call omniscient. His ways are not always our ways. Point six in our bulletin. God's job is to understand all things and maintain control of our things. All things. What is my job? My job is to trust Him. In chapter 12, Paul told us to seek God's good and perfect will. So turn to chapter 12 and look at verse 2 with me. Chapter 12, verse 2. And, not, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. I like the picture that J.B. Phillips painted in his translation. He put it this way, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. You see, it's not a passive thing. The world is trying to squeeze you 
into its way of thinking, into its values. But don't be conformed. Don't let the world do that. Let God transform you. That's our point seven. Let him transform your mind. It starts with our thinking, with our minds. Let the Spirit of God help you think and act more and more like Jesus. I like what my younger brother has said. Let your life be so filled with Jesus that when something bumps you accidentally, only Jesus spills out. (laughs) I like that picture. Almost always, um, God doesn't care about decisions that you make. Pastor Jared told us, don't overthink finding out what God's will is. Some of us do. I'm looking for God's will. Well, it will find you, brother. God's will, Jared said, almost always, God doesn't care which decision we make as long as we honor him in that decision. God, his will always, it lines up with Scripture. So check, check that off. It brings glory to him. And it gives us a peace in our heart from him. Chapter 12 tells us that God has gifted us to serve him. Oh, you only have to go down a couple of verses on this one. Verses 4 through 6. Let's read those together. For as... We have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Having gifts, let us use them. In other words, just do it. Use God's gifts that he's given us for each other. You have a gift. It might be different than mine. Or, or even if your gift and mine is the same, God has fashioned you and he's put you together different than me so that your gift will minister in a different way to the others in his body. Different than mine. Chapter 13. Well, that told us to be respectful to our government for Jesus' sake. Look at verse 1 of chapter 13 with me. Verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. This crazy world that we live in seems to be spiraling out of control. What can a Christian do that will actually make an impact, a difference? Well, Paul's final word on the subject is here in chapter 11 in the last verse, the first part. How can you make a difference in this world? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. When he changes you, then he will change the world through you, around you. Chapters 14 and 15. Well, they tell us to love our Christian brothers and sisters. This is one important way on how we also can love God when we love his children. Jesus told us in Matthew 25, verse 40, Assuredly, that means you better listen. 
I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of my brethren, you did it to me. Every act of kindness, every blessing that you give, every smile that you share with one of God's children, you're sharing that with Jesus himself. We are commanded to love one another, to build up each other. And Paul will tell us in verse 1 of chapter 14, start going there, to refrain from arguing and disputing these non-essential issues. Romans 14, verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. But we even need to go a step farther, not only to love and accept, but to protect each other. Look down in, in, uh, at verse 13 in, in chapter 14. Verse 13, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in a brother's way. You see, the more mature believer has a responsibility for the one weak in faith, that one who is more uncertain and restrictive in doing or enjoying these doubtful things. Don't argue about your spiritual freedom. God has given each of us specific guidance through our conscience by His Holy Spirit. These are personal Convictions. And number nine in our bulletin, personal convictions must remain personal. The Scriptures, they give us clear guidelines to live by. 1 Corinthians 10.31. We find it in Colossians as well. But let's look at 1 Corinthians 10.31 up here. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's rather quite simple. Whatever you do, whether you partake or not, do it unto the Lord. Paul begins to finish this great Romans letter with a benediction in chapter 15. Go to chapter 15, verse 5. Next to where I have the verses on my, on my notes, I say, wait. I want to wait, but not too long here. Verse 5, Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus. That's his benediction. And that thought, like-minded, that reminds him of one more important topic, unity, especially unity between Jewish and Gentile believers. So in verse 6 he says, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the end result, the bottom line of love, should always be unity in the body of Christ. If we disagree, and we will, agree to disagree. Unity in the body of Christ. Number 10 in our bulletin. Only unity brings glory to God. Yes, we're going to have different ideas. We won't all ex be exactly the same. Otherwise, you'd all have to be like me. 
Nobody wants that. And guess what? Okay. Even when we find a Christian brother or sister caught in sin, Paul tells us to be loving and gentle. Help carry each other's birth each other's burdens. Um, Mark Sawyer said this to me years ago. We need to be paramedics, not the police. That's the work of God, the Holy Spirit. After expounding on unity between Jews and Gentiles, Paul tries to close the letter one more time. Verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul reminds us that these gifts, joy, peace, and a sure hope, are given to us by the indwelling Holy Spirit, by His power. Finally, I've got my great-grandson loves frogs. I've got one for him. Somebody go get him. I think he might be gone. Finally, Paul says this in verse 33. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Oh, wait a minute. He's a little bit like me. He thinks of one more thing. He thinks about Phoebe. We'll see her in chapter 16. She's going <clears> to <throat> carry the letter to the, ch- uh, the church in Rome. She needs an introduction to these people. Well, I'll write one more sentence or two. So we come to Romans chapter 16, where Paul gives us his final... I've got something to drink. I don't know if I've got enough up here, though. I probably should switch with you. That way I won't spill coffee. I can spill water. Okay. We all have gifts. Use those gifts. Anybody want to guess Tom's gift? The gift of helps. Exactly, the gift of service. Thanks, Tom. Where was I? Oh, final words. I'm at my final words. Okay, I'm glad you reminded me. Now, if you haven't been in your Bible skipping through the whole book up until now, open to chapter 16. Uh, we're kind of kind of go verse by verse. We'll skip around. So, verse one in chapter 16. I commend to you Phoebe, our sister, who's a servant of the church in Centuria. Now, Miss Phoebe, she's this world traveler. She was known to Paul when Paul was ministering in Corinth to nearby Centuria, the eastern port village of Corinth. You can see their proximity on my map. Most scholars believe that Paul was writing this letter to the Roman church when he was ministering in Corinth. As Paul is thinking about Phoebe, he begins reminiscing. He can't help but think uh, to send greetings to these saints that he's talking to. So look at verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who ask who risked their own necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also all the churches of the Gentiles. Likewise, greet the church that is in their house. 
So Paul sends greetings to the church that meets in the home of Aquila and Priscilla. This husband and wife whom Paul had previously met and worked when he made tent, worked with when he made tents in Corinth. Finishing verse 5. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who is the first fruits of Achaia to Christ. Achaia, now that's modern Greece. I think Athens and Corinth in Achaia were hard to reach with the gospel. Eponidas, Eponidas, uh, Eponidas, uh, whatever your name is, okay, may have been the first to receive Christ. He was what I call the breakthrough believer. He was the first fruits of ministry. You always remember that first one. Now, verses 8 through 12 speak of men and women who had worked with Paul. Well, let's skip down to verse 10. Greet Apelles, approved in Christ. That word approved, it means tried and tested. Apelles had been through the fire and found faithful. Down to verse 12. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, who have labored in the Lord. I like what Pastor Sandy Adams says. He says, Tryphena, that means dainty, and Tryphosa in the Greek means delicate. The Greek word translated labored means to toil to the point of exhaustion. So it might be put, he says, dainty and delicate, rolled up their shirt sleeves and worked hard for the Lord. The ladies with the prissy names were actually rugged laborers. Verse 13, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord and his mother and mine. Now Rufus, that's an interesting man. Mark tells us in his gospel that Simon, who carried the cross for Jesus, was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Mark 15:21. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. I think it's probably, I was thinking possible, I think it's probable that Simon stood at the foot of the cross and believed and gave his heart to Christ. Perhaps he is the father of the Rufus here in verse 13. And if Simon and his family stayed in Jerusalem, it's possible that they had Paul in their home and Paul adopted the mother as his own. Skip down to verse 15. Now this is a hard one. This is a tongue twister. Greet Philologus. Philologus. I had to put a dot in between all of those. And Julia, Nereus and his sister, and Olympus and all the saints that are with them. Greet Philologus. This name literally means lover of the word. And I hope we all, both men and women, are deserving of this name, Philologus, lovers of God's Word. Verse 16, greet one another with a holy kiss. Well, Darren gave us three choices. Paul's given us a fourth. Well, I like what Dr. McGee has to say. He has one thought about this. This was the formal greeting in Paul's time. I don't recommend it for today. I like that. All right, verse 17. 
Now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learn, and avoid them. This warning, it sounds foreign in a chapter filled with greetings, but Paul knew that there were dangers in the church, and he wanted to warn the saints. Note them. Avoid them. The word note means watch them. Keep your eyes on them. Certainly as individual Christians, we're to love and forgive one another. But Paul says, sins against the church must be dealt with. Verse 18, For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. And it's due to their flattery that these troublemakers can develop a following. That's why they can't be tolerated, not even a little. They'll deceive simple minds and manipulate gullible hearts. Paul says, identify them and then avoid them. Verse 19, for your obedience has become known to all. Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. Be experts in good. That would be experts in God's word, but innocent to what is evil. Verse 20, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. I've used this Sunday school slide before, but I think this is what Paul is referring to. This is found in Genesis 3 where God speaks to Adam, Eve, and the serpent. God tells Satan, her son will bruise your head. On the cross, the serpent will bruise Messiah's heel. But in the end, Jesus will crush Satan's head and strip him of all his authority. Paul finishes verse 20. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. This is his fifth benediction. Then, true to form, Paul thinks of one more thing. He wants to send greetings from the friends that work with him here in Corinth. Timothy, my fellow worker, and Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater. Oh, that was a hard one. My countrymen greet you. Right here, Paul must pause for a few moments. Wanting to make sure he doesn't leave anyone out. Then, in verse 21, I, Tertius who write this epistle, greet you in the Lord. You see, while Paul hesitates, Tertius, he's the scribe Paul is dictating to. He sneaks in his own greeting to friends in Rome. <laughs> I like that. Now, these next three men in verse 23 remind me of one of my favorite stories about the makeup of every, of every church that's filled with true believers. Three men all equal, co-workers in Paul's ministry, verse 23. The first, Gaius, my host and the host of the whole church greet you. Now Gaius, perhaps he's prominent and wealthy. He's wealthy enough to bring all the house churches together and the whole church can meet in his house. The next one, Erastus, the treasurer of the city greets you. This man was a government leader perhaps the treasure of Corinth, and Cortus, a brother. Now, the names Tertius, remember him in verse 22, and Cortus, they're the Greek numerals three and four. In the Roman world, 
Oftentimes, slaves were never given proper names, just a number. It's possible these two believers, Tertius and Quartus, or three and four, were former slaves and now considered brothers to Paul. These four men, a businessman, a city official, and two slaves fellowshipping and working together, side by side, equal in the body of Christ. Overnight, slaves and nobles became equal in Christ. Well, one of the girls in my youth ministry, she's quite older now, <clears throat> Sylvia, <clears throat> excuse me, Sylvia, she really loved the Lord, and she went on to junior college and became a teller in a, a, a bank in town. Now, Park Ryder, he was one of our deacons in the church, and he was the memory work helper in the junior Sunday school department. He was also the president of the bank that Sylvia was the teller. Now, Sylvia was the team leader of the junior kids Sunday school department. So on five days a week, Sylvia would come into work and say, Good morning, Mr. Ryder. Is there anything uh, else you need me to do? I think I've caught up with the rest of my work. On Sunday morning, what do you think happened? Park Ryder would come in and say, Good morning, Sylvia. Is there anything else you need me to do? I think I've caught up with the, my other work that I had to do. You see, she was the department leader where... He served. The Sunday school roles turned everything right side up. The bank president subservient to the bank teller. Does God have a sense of humor or not? I like what Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorite Bible scholars, says about chapter 16. No doubt many of these people were Paul's converts who had found their way to Rome. Paul had never visited Rome and certainly had to have met these saints in other cities. Like his master, Paul knew the sheep by name <clears throat> and had a personal concern for each one. Verse 24, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, verse 24 might be in Paul's own handwriting. It's considered by many scholars to be his personal grace signature. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. Here's a good example. Paul writes, verse 17, The salutation of Paul with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write, and here comes the grace signature, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. The same as he did in chapter 16. Verses 25 through 27 are Paul's final and sixth benediction, and hopefully mine as well. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began. The mystery. The church. The church age. The age that we live in. Was, it was never made known to the Old Testament saints or prophets. It has been a mystery since the beginning of creation, kept secret 
since the world began. Verse 26, And now made manifest, and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations. Do you catch that? This mystery is being made manifest by prophetic scriptures. Paul is speaking here in verse 26 of the New Testament as prophetic scriptures. He's calling the writers, Peter, John, James, um, Jude, he's calling them prophets. And their books in the New Testament, he's calling scripture, holy scripture. Verse 27, to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. Now my hope, as the worship team can come on up here, is that this final verse of Paul's letter becomes true in each of our lives. Look at that verse again. To God alone wise, that we seek his wisdom only. To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ. As we've read back through this book, my prayer is that we each bring glory to God as we continue to apply these truths every day, the truths of this sacred letter that we've learned in these last few months. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for using Paul in this obscure way as he's put him if you put him in these places where he has the time to spend with you and share your words with us thank you lord as we apply these truths thank you for your love for us in jesus name amen please stand together